Welcome to the Adventist History class here at Advent Hope. Some of you are aware that this is actually our last class. Those uh, who are listening on Audioverse uh, may not know that, but we're finishing the, the history. It's been a real blessing. We hope it's been a blessing for each one of you. And so before we begin, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, thank you once again for the opportunity that we have to study and to see how you have incredibly blessed our church through the ups and downs. And we ask now that as we look at current Adventist history, that you will help us to see things through your eyes and to see the potential for this generation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we get into the main part of the study, I just wanted to review with you the things that we've talked about in the past. Okay, since this is our last one, we're going to quickly review because we want to see this in the bigger picture. So we started out with one of the most exciting times I feel that ever happened in the history of the world. And that was around 1844. We covered that in two lectures. They were called The Great Advent Awakening and The Midnight Cry. Then we talked about how our pioneers developed the distinctive truths of Adventism that we hold so dear today. Uh, They include things like the sanctuary, the Sabbath, the spirit of prophecy. All those things were developed. And that was a lecture called Present Truth. Then we talked about at least two different times in Adventist history where Jesus wanted to come back. And he uh, was very close to coming back. Things didn't work out. But uh, we talked about that in Almost to Canaan. And the second one was the 1888 General Conference. And then we talked about various aspects of, of, of Adventism and the importance of their role in Adventist history. We talked about the health mess, Loma Linda, which uh, was the College of Medical Evangelists back then. And then the last two weeks, we've been talking about some very important, more recent history. Uh, It was called Questions on Doctrine, and the second one was the Ford Controversy. And if you haven't heard that and you're Adventist, I would really recommend and encourage you to go back and listen to those. It'll really help you to understand why our church is the way it is now. And that brings us to today. And the topic for today is called Current Events in Adventism. All right, we're going to talk about what's going on now. We can't talk about everything, of course, but I think it's safe to say that we are seeing a revival in our church, especially among young people. And there's a, I believe that God has a plan for that generation. Let's start with context. I always like to talk a little bit about context when we're looking at history. And so every every generation has its own characteristics, doesn't it? And uh, they have a name for every generation, it seems like. You've heard of perhaps the baby boomers, those who were born uh, after World War II. Uh, You may have heard of Generation X, right? How about the current generation? There's different names for the current generation. 
Some of the ones that I've seen are Generation Y. You can figure out how they came up with that name. The Millennials is another name for the current generation. They're also called the Net Generation. They all kind of make sense, don't they? But what they all have in common is that these are primarily people who were born in 1982 or, or afterward. Okay? And why is that? Well, if you were born in 1982, when you turned 18, what year was it? The year 2000. So basically, your adult life is going to be spent in the new millennium, 2000 and onward. Okay? That's how kind of they define it. And this generation has many characteristics that are unlike any other generation that has preceded it. Uh, we can't talk about all of them, but a couple of them you can think about uh, is that this is very definitely an age of technology, isn't it? So this is the generation that grew up with computers. Even my generation, we didn't grow up with computers, uh, I have to say. But this generation, they grew up with computers. We have GPS that tracks. We, we know wherever, where we are at all times. Uh, there's internet. You get the picture? This is also a generation that is very connected, socially connected. Uh, many of you might be on Facebook or some other social networking site, right? How do you keep in touch with your friends? A lot of people text, are texting all the time or instant messaging one another. Uh, some people even have a second life, they call it. Some people even call, have a second life. So these are all things that, uh, that affect this generation. But there's another side to this generation. And it's a little bit uh, of a, of a, uh, a little bit of a more, a, di a different side to it. There are a lot of historical events that have happened during uh, the current generation's lifetime. So if you were someone that was born in 1982, okay, what are some things that you would have, that would have happened during your lifetime that would have really affected how you saw the world? Are there any ideas or any, any historical events that have happened that you can think of? Okay, so there, were, there have been several wars. The Kuwait War was in 1991. Of course, that was followed by several other wars, weren't there? Okay, so 911, and that was in 2001. That was a, a major influence, I believe, on this generation. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, and, of course, the war on terror. Afghanistan war was in 2001. Iraq started in 2003. And they're still going on, aren't they? Anything else? Okay, the Berlin Wall came down. That was in 1989. So the tsunami, that's right. The tsunami happened in 2004, I believe. Tiananmen Square, okay, so that's right. So freedom all over the world was opening up. Sometimes it was a little bit, uh, uh, there was some conflict there. Okay, so a lot of things happened. Let me just read a few more things that I have written down. Uh, Katrina. Uh, one of the worst natural disasters in the history of the United States was in 2005. Of course, we talked about the tsunami. Over 200,000, 225,000 people died in that alone. One of the deadliest disasters in the history of the world. How about the Oklahoma City bombing? That was in 1995. And a lot of young people will remember Columbine. Do you remember that? That was in 1999, where... Uh, 
a, uh, a, in a school, a high school, uh, one, of, uh, one of the students came in and uh, massacred a, a lot of his fellow students. It's a very tragic occurrence. Now, you could argue that other generations have been, have been exposed to many tragic things, right? World War I, World War II, there's lots of things, right? But we live in an age with a high, high media exposure. So we, everything that, that happens, we see, we see the, the towers falling live on, on, on national television. We see the tsunami. We see all these things, and it's right there in our face on the Internet and on TV, etc. So it's really affected this generation. And I believe that it's this generation now is beginning to look for something that's more stable, right? They want something that they can, something that's true and that's something that they can anchor themselves to that won't, uh, won't let them down. And they're searching for answers to some serious questions in life. Questions like, why would, why would God allow uh, the Twin Towers to fall and thousands of people to die in one day, right? Why would, uh, why would God allow a tsunami that would kill so many people? Who can we trust when all around us there's fear and terrorism? Okay, so there are a lot of questions that, are, that, are, that people are asking. And we see this in our church as well. The current generation, I believe, are searching for answers in the Adventist church. And I believe that many of them are now finding those questions answered in the time-tested truths of the Bible. So let's go back to uh, what we would probably consider one of the most formative events in, uh, in the recent history, right? September 11, 2001. Can you agree with me that our world is, just not, is not the same and has not been the same since? Okay, it changed the political landscape, the legal landscape. It, uh, it changed the way that we travel. Uh, we're on orange alert almost uh, continually. There are a lot of things that have changed and our world may never, ever be the same. But I believe that after 9-11, there's also a tremendous opportunity because I remember after 9-11, a lot of my friends and classmates, they were starting to go back to church. Do you remember this? They were starting to, to examine their lives and get serious about, about their lives. And it was a time where people really were open to, to God and to truth. So I believe that after 9-11, that's why we saw a, a movement begin in the Adventist church. And this is a movement that I like to call the GYC generation, right? And this movement, I believe, has the potential to stir this church to the very depths and to shake, shake this world in a way that we've never seen before. Ways that we have seen it almost happen, but uh, I believe that we are seeing an opportunity for this generation to per perhaps to bring our history here on earth to a close. Let's talk a little bit more about this group. And uh, let's talk about GYC, okay, since we're talking about this GYC generation. GYC was, the idea of GYC began in 2001, shortly after 9-11, right? 
not because of 9-11, but in that atmosphere. And a group of young people got together, and they were very diverse uh, ethnically. They uh, attended universities all across America. They were public university campuses as well as Adventist university campuses. And they were, uh, they decided that they would bring together Adventist young people uh, into a conference. They would try to bring them together into a conference. Those Adventist young people who were very serious about their faith and wanted to, to do something about it. And so they planned a, a conference called General Youth Conference. Now GYC stands for Generation of Youth for Christ. But back then it was General Youth Conference. We'll call it GYC. And this conference was called Pentecost, He Will Do It Again. It was based on Hosea 6, verse 3, and Ezekiel 34, verse 26. And it was held in Pine Springs Ranch here in California. Many of you, some of you were actually there and may remember. Uh, I'm going to try to, to give you a, a little summary of some of the different GYCs that have happened. But some of these GYCs have been, are very difficult to describe just because of how, how incredibly intense and, and uh, spiritually uh, exciting that they were, Okay. This first GYC, I don't know if anything can top this first GYC. And some of you who are there will, may know what I mean. Uh, the best way that I can describe it is that there was a very, very spiritual atmosphere there. Wherever you went, you couldn't walk in, into a room or down a hallway without seeing groups of people scattered around praying together. Sometimes groups of two Sometimes groups of 10 or 20 people would be, were praying together. Not because it was prayer time. It was spontaneous prayer. It was intercessory prayer. It was people who were really serious about seeing Pentecost happen again. And uh, there, were some, there were powerful messages. I remember that Randy Skeet was there. He gave some powerful messages as well as Peter Gregory. And it really set the tone for what this GYC generation was going to be. Another interesting point about that conference was that they weren't really sure how many people were going to show up. This was the first time that GYC had ever been done. So they tentatively planned for maybe 200, 250 people to come. But they had to close registration early because uh, they, they had capped at 425 regis registrations. And uh, they were, of course, more people wanted to come. So that was 2002. In 2003, GYC was held in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And the theme of the conference that year was Higher Than the Highest. That's taken from the book Education, page 18. And it really stressed the, the characteristic of excellence in this generation. There, they uh, had about 800 registrations. About 1,200 people came uh, to GYC that year on Sabbath. And, you know, GYC, it's not about the numbers necessarily, but, but by looking at some of these things, we get a feel for, for how quickly this generation grew. I believe that it was God-ordained and that the Holy Spirit was moving in a way that we haven't seen in a long, long time. One of the highlights of GYC that year was that there was a, a baptism appeal that was made for baptisms and rebaptisms, and 34 people 
uh, were, uh, went up to the front for that appeal. And they actually had baptism there in the hotel pool. And if, if you were there, uh, it was a very, very inspiring and encouraging time. Now, at GYC, we don't do that anymore. Logistically, it'd be d- very difficult. And we'd rather encourage people to go back to their local churches and follow up with their pastors. But it was still a very, very uh, uh, exciting moment at GYC. The next GYC was in 2004, and that was in Sacramento, California. The theme was Carry the Light, and really this focused on evangelism. Not only was evangelism done before the conference started and afterward, but that was the first time that evangelism was done on Sabbath afternoon. And they put young people on buses, they went all over the city, and they knocked on doors. And I believe that over 5,000 doors were knocked on, uh, is, what I, is what I have here. And this was uh, kind of an unprecedented outreach that, it, that, that uh, we'd ever seen. Uh, this was also the first year that 3ABN was there. And they began to broadcast this to, to all around the world, actually. We can't go through all the GYCs. Let me briefly tell you at least what uh, each one was about. Uh, in 2005, GYC was in Chattanooga. The theme was Now is the Time, taken from Romans 13, verse 11. In 2006... The theme was By Every Word, taken from Matthew 4, verse 4, and that was held in Baltimore, Maryland. That was a very powerful GYC. In 2007, the theme was Be, taken from Be Ye Transformed in Romans 12, verse 2, and that was held in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And so there was a lot of significance there since uh, we, uh, we talked about what happened in Minneapolis in 1888, several uh, weeks ago. Last year, in 2008... GYC was held in San Jose, California, and the theme was For This Purpose, taken from Acts 26, 16 to 18. What I really appreciated about this past GYC was we, we refocused on our identity and our mission as Adventists. And I think that's going to be a very important part, and we're going to talk more about that a little late, later on here. What I've heard is that the attendance on Sabbath was close to five to 6,000 people. So we can see that GYC is still, it's still growing, isn't it? And there's still a, a very much an interest by young people in conferences like these. Outreach that year, or this past year, knocked on about 23,000 doors. One of the highlights was uh, Alistair Huang giving a testimony about how the previous year at GYC, he was stricken with paralysis from the neck down. Do you remember that story? And how the Lord miraculously healed him. So these are some things that, uh, that we remember from previous GYCs. This coming GYC in 2009 is going to be in Louisville, Kentucky. And the, the theme is unashamed, taken from Romans 1, verse 16. So there you have it. That's kind of a short history of the last seven years of GYC and the way God has been leading in that, in that way. So why do I call this generation the GYC generation? It's not that GYC is, is the generation. GYC is an organization. But GYC is kind of the flagship organization that represents a movement of young people in the church. An army of youth that I see is forming. It kind of reminds me of movements like the Protestant Reformation, where God moved on multiple people in different countries all over the world, and they all came together 
because the Holy Spirit was behind that, wasn't it? I think GYC has some similar uh, characteristics. Uh, here's some examples. There are some things that were happening here in Loma Linda. And uh, I speak about this because I know about it. Uh, there were things that were happening around the same time that were uh, separate from GYC, but very much similar, similar goals. For instance, in, uh, uh, in the early 2002, I became the religious vice president here at Loma Linda. And together with a group of people who would later form Advent Hope, we decided that we, we wanted to do some, some evangelism on the campus. They hadn't been, had uh, any evangelism to the students here, uh, any major efforts for at least 40 years. And so we felt that that would be a, a good project that we could do. It eventually became Restoration, which has, uh, is now, I believe, also in its seventh year. And uh, there have been other things. Avent Hope you're familiar with. There are Avent Hopes that are starting all over the country now. And uh, Audioverse you're familiar with. Then there are all the youth conferences. And I want to touch a little bit on the youth conferences because I believe that the youth conferences show that this GYC generation is really a grassroots thing. It's not one person or one church leader or some person that's trying to push an agenda through a group of young people. But this is something that's happening because young people themselves are waking up. So I remember in Ann Arbor, in Michigan, at the second GYC, that uh, we had a networking session. I remember this because uh, I was in charge of that networking session that time. And what we did was we, we separated people out in, uh, into groups, 12 groups, or maybe it was 10, that were based on geographic location. And we asked people to get together and just brainstorm what they could do to bring the GYC spirit back to their, their homes. And uh, many people did that. And although when they went back, they weren't necessarily affiliated with GYC at that time, uh, many of them went back and to their campuses, to their churches, to their communities, and they planned events. And many of these events began to be called youth conferences, just like GYC. As we look back now, and youth conferences are continuing to be formed, it reminds me of the early Adventist pioneers. You remember we talked about how after the Millwright movement took, took hold in America, especially when it went to the large cities, that these conferences, these local conferences, these general conferences, these camp meetings began to form all over the United States, 30, 50 of them per year. It's hard to, to imagine how that, how that happened, but I think we're starting to see that in our generation as well. I was just making a list last night, and I came up with maybe 10 or more different youth conferences that I know about, at least here in the United States. But uh, these are also starting internationally. And I don't want to get into too much detail. We don't have enough time. But there are youth conferences that started up all over. There's uh, some in Australia, New Zealand. There's uh, uh, other ones that have happened almost separate from GYC in Germany. There are other ones in uh, England and Canada, etc. So we're just beginning to see, the, I believe, the tip of an iceberg. The bottom line is that young people are reviving, aren't they? And I believe there's a reason for that. For many years we heard 
that young people were leaving the church in droves. You remember hearing that? And that was true. I believe that that was perhaps partly the fact that we, had, uh, we were encouraging a worship style that was high on entertainment, but maybe a little bit low on substance. And I also believe that maybe it was also partly due to the things that, that we talked about in the last two weeks, about questions on doctrine and eventually what happened with Desmond Ford and how we lost our identity as a church. However, there are more and more young people who are finding more and more reasons to stay in the church. And that's the good news, and that's what we want to talk about today. We are seeing a revival, and uh, they are part of this millennial generation, this GYC generation, who are searching for something that they can, they can hitch themselves to, things, something that they can count on, an anchor. And so they are turning back, and they are beginning to understand the identity and the mission of the Adventist church. And so that's what I want to talk about now. What is that mission and identity? What is that prophetic, what I think is a prophetic identity and mission that this generation is getting excited about? So let's open our Bibles and let's talk about, first of all, where is, how do we know in the Bible where we are in history? We're going to end in Revelation, but we're going to start in Daniel, okay? You may not even, not even, you may not even need to turn to Daniel chapter 2, but, but Daniel chapter 2 is a timeline of history, isn't it? And it tells us where we are approximately. You remember there was an image that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream. He saw a head of gold. The arms and chest were of silver. The thighs were of brass, right? Legs of iron, and then the feet were of iron and clay. Then a, a stone that was, uh, that was not cut by any man, by man's hands, hit the feet. The whole image crumbled. That's our timeline. So where are we in Daniel chapter 2? Okay, we're in, we're in the feet, right? We're, we're in the toes. And some people have even said that we're in the toenails of that image. And so we can see where our world is. It's clear, right? That we are past the legs, we are into the feet. We are in the toes. There's timelines throughout Daniel, chapter 7, 8, etc. But uh, if you go to Daniel 11, and I'll tell you right away, there's no way we're going to go through Daniel 11 today, but there are sermons on audioverse that do go through Daniel 11, and if you want to study that, I would encourage you to, to look those up. But in Daniel 11, starting in verse 2, we have a history of the world from Daniel's time all the way through the end. The end of time starts in Daniel 12, verse 1. That's when Michael stands up and the time of trouble begins. So between da Daniel chapter 11, verse 2 and Daniel 12, verse 1, we have a timeline of verse history. And I'll just tell you, if you study this out, you'll see history unfolding in, in uh, the first part of Daniel 11. And when you get to the very end of Daniel 11... Right before the 12th chapter, you will start to see that that's, that's where we are in this earth's history. Once again, we are living at the very end, right before Michael will stand up. What a privilege it is to be alive during such a time, a time that, that Daniel could only dream about, a time that the pioneers wished and the apostles wished that they could be a part of. 
And here we are at the end of time. Let's look, though, at something I believe that's even more convicting, and that is where our church is, where, where our church is in this timeline. Now let's go to Revelation, and we'll start in, Re- in Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter, chapters 2 and 3 talk about the seven churches. And if we study them, we'll find that those seven churches represent seven periods of time that are sequential. We talked about how the, the uh, uh, early Adventist pioneers believed that they were part of which church? Philadelphia. And it wasn't until about the 1850s that they began to realize that, wait a second, we're not Philadelphia, who are we? Laodicea. And that sparked a tremendous revival that God wanted to use to, to bring this earth's history to a close. Uh, that never happened, but that was one of the messages that was critical to that. And so through Laodicea, we realize our true condition, and we also realize what God wants to do through our church. Uh, we are the last church. There is no, la- no other church after Laodicea. So from this, you, you can know that you are in a church that is going to be there to the end and that we are living again in the last period of this world's history. I want to turn now to Revelation chapter 10, which I think is maybe one of the clearest places in Scripture that we can see the prophetic significance, the prophetic identity and mission of the church that we have been studying for the past quarter. And so, how much time do we have? We will try to do a quick study, all right, of this just to understand a little bit better what our identity and mission is. Do we have the, the microphone? Let's have someone read starting Revelation chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Do I have someone that can read that? Raise your hand. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. And his face was as were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea, and his left foot upon the earth. Okay, so here's a mighty angel. Who is this mighty angel? Okay, it's Jesus, right? How do we know? Well, if you look back in Revelation chapter 1, there's a similar description of someone, and it's Jesus walking through the seven candlesticks. Okay, so we can know that, that in Revelation 10, here we have Jesus. He... He comes down and he's holding a little book in his hand and it's open. Where have you heard about a book, a little book before that let's, let's say was closed or sealed? In Daniel in, in particular, there is a book that was sealed. And in particular, that book was not just the book of Daniel, but which vision was actually shut? The vision in Daniel 8, Right? Daniel 8.14 is primarily what was uh, closed for a long time until 1844. So we can see here that Jesus comes down to the earth and he opens up that sealed book, that sealed vision of the 2300 
day prophecy. All right, let's, well, and then we, if we read on, we see that seven thunders utter their voices. Then uh, John is going to write it down, but he's, he's prevented from doing that. And then, can we have someone read verses 5 through at five and 6? Can I have another volunteer for that? And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven and the things that therein are and the earth and the things that therein are and the sea and the things which are therein that there should be time no longer. Okay, what is the significance of time no longer? Okay, there are different time prophecies in the Bible. And the longest one, and the last one to be fulfilled, is the 2300-day prophecy, isn't it? And so the 2300-day prophecy means when, it, when it's fulfilled, means that there's no more time prophecies. And so why are there no more time prophecies? It's because after that, there are no more events that we need to wait for. God is waiting for only one more thing. And we find what that one more thing is in the next verse. And just for the sake of time, I'm going to read the next verse. Verse 7 of Revelation 10 says, But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. Here we see that, uh, what is the seventh trumpet? It's the second coming, isn't it? So here we have something that's happening right before the seventh trumpet, as it's beginning to sound, the mystery of God will be finished. And for the sake of time, we're just going to briefly look at one text that can tell us a little bit more about what the mystery of God might be. And that's found in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 27. Could someone in the back that, can, that the microphone can get to easily read Colossians 1, verse 27? Go ahead. Colossians 1.27 To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, so the mystery here, the mystery of God, the mystery among the Gentiles that God has for us is summarized in the statement, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I wish we could talk more about this, and I believe that others have, so I'm going to just summarize but the idea here is that we can, we can have a relationship with Christ that is so close and so intimate that he's actually dwelling in us and that through us he can manifest himself to the world. And when, when this happens, that we have a, a hope that we will see Christ uh, face to face and that we will be glorified, we'll see Christ in glory. And uh, there's much more to this, but this can be summarized in what we call righteousness by faith, okay? And that's the message. That's what God wants to do at the very end of time. In his church, we see here that before the seventh trumpet, right before the second coming, that there is a mystery that needs to be finished. That mystery is the 
the uh, message of righteousness by faith going out to the world. And so that is our prophetic identity and mission. Do you see that clearly? In two places in the book of Revelation. The interesting thing is that the two messages, messages that we just talked about, what were they? Revelation 3 was the Laodicean message, right? And Revelation 10, what was that? Righteousness by faith, right? The mystery of God being finished. Those are the two parts of Revelation that clearly show our prophetic identity and mission. And guess what? Those are the same messages that we talked about earlier that would have taken us to Canaan. Remember? The Laodicean message in the 1850s that uh, James White did so much to, to spread, that almost brought us home. That message, contained in that message, was our prophetic identity and mission. And in Revelation 10, the message of righteousness by faith that was so prominently displayed in Minneapolis in 1888, again, that message, contained in that message, was our prophetic identity and mission. You're starting to see there's nothing new that's going to happen. We need a generation that will completely grasp, embrace what our prophetic uh, identity and mission is and take this message to the world. Throughout history, God has been leading our church to climaxes. We saw that in the 1850s. We saw that in 1888. I believe that we are seeing that again. Today, in your lifetime, we are seeing a resurgence of, of a revival in the Adventist church. We see an intersection here with world events, right? 9-11 and, and the current generation. We see it intersecting with a church that is potentially is reviving itself to do a very, very special work. We've talked about that work in our previous discussions on health, on education, on uh, many other things. I believe that we are, an approaching, we are approaching an opportunity to, to finally finish this great controversy. And I think it will involve a, an understanding of what our identity and mission is as a church. Here's my final appeal to you. Many, many books have been written on Adventist history. And many of those books, uh, myself and the teachers of this class have consulted as we have explained to you things that have happened in the past. However, there will be a time when the last chapter of Adventist history is written. And I believe that this generation, this GYC generation, has the opportunity to write that chapter, to be a part of that. And each one of you has a vital role in in being a part of, of, that, of that history. In order to avoid those, the mistakes that have been made in the past, in order to build on what has been built before us, we need to know the history of our church. And more importantly, we need to know Christ and his word. And so my prayer is at the end of this class, that at the end of this class, that this will not be the end of a study, but this will be, be the beginning of a journey for each one of you to study in more depth and with more uh, 
with more dedication how God has led his church throughout history. Through the Bible, as it's chronicled through the Bible, through the Reformation and through uh, the, how God has worked throughout history, and finally how God has worked through the Adventist, in the Adventist church. And through that, you will get an understanding of what you can do to write that final chapter in earth's history. Do you want to be a part of that? Do you want to see Jesus come in this generation? We at the Adventist history class, that is our prayer. And as we close, why don't we pray for that together? Dear Father in heaven, we have been privileged and honored to review how you have led our church through the past 165 years. And Father, we don't want another 165 years to go by and still be here on this earth. We want to wrap things up. And so, as we continue our study beyond what this class could only review and survey, we ask that you would personally convict each one of us with our responsibility, with our distinct honor, how we can participate in the grand closing moments of the great controversy. May your Holy Spirit fall upon us and strengthen us for this task. We pray your blessing upon this generation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this class. I hope it was a blessing to you. It surely has been a blessing to to those of us who have, have been teaching. And may this be the beginning of our study. Amen? Happy Sabbath.